Open up 1 John chapter 4. We'll look at first verses uh, 1 through 6. It's on the screen just so we read it in the same version or feel free to read along in uh, your copy of God's Word. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak to the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Uh, just for the next few minutes together, we need a vocabulary uh, a word, if, if you don't already know it, and we'll just unpack it to make sure we're on the same page, and that word is discernment, all right? So you notice this as the vital sign descriptor in the bottom right hand of the, the screen. This is a vital sign that John references to, again, back in chapter 5, verse 13, right? Why does he write this book? I write to those of you who believe that you may know that you have eternal life. So, so again, this sermon is not so we'll go out and practice better discernment necessarily, though we will. This is a vital sign. Do we have what John says a believer by the Spirit of God has in order to tell the difference between truth and error? Um, so the word to do that is, is going to be discernment. It's a word diacrino, or to, to judge between, uh, or to properly judge. If you think about the word discernment, you don't, it, it's kind of laced with this idea that you're going to judge well. You're going to judge correctly, right? And so whenever we discuss in this room and, and we talk about spiritual things, we can actually judge according to an absolute inerrant standard, can't we? So who should be able to discern anything better than anyone? It should be those of us to whom God has made his revealed um, uh, word clear. So that's, that's the word of the day, is discernment. Um, discernment isn't solely a spiritual activity. We do this all of the time. You've done this this week. You've practiced discernment as best as you can, as best as we can, with, with human things, material things, earthly things. We all do this. It's, it's everything from the, the, the political coverage we intend to watch and that we, that we subscribe to, isn't it? We, we practice discernment when we ask hard questions to distinguish between what, what uh, parenting philosophy we subscribe to, what, what fitness um, uh, regimen we, we subscribe to, that there are options for us, aren't there? there? There are different ways to do these things. You can manage your money different ways, and on a regular basis, we make judgment calls. We discern, discern, however you want to pronounce that with that silent, sneaky C, you want to discern the difference between truth an error. So this is not anything foreign to us, though the word may not be used as often, but John is going to encourage us to use discernment in a very spirit-led way for a purpose far more important than even how we raise our kids, a far more purpose than, than even what, what uh, political coverage, what news station we subscribe to, right? When you, oh, when you turn on your TV, it's CNN or it's Fox, right? And, and you're forced with a judgment call. You're going to discern between truth and error, right? 
There is a more important reason, however, to use this skill. And the emphasis this morning in the text is that there's the, the way we're able to know this is that there is an absolute standard against which we are to judge. So John is saying here to this first century church, 2,000 plus years ago in Ephesus, everything that has to do with us here today. Everything John said to them applies to us. But the first thing we do when we open God's Word is we ask the question, what, what did it mean? What was the intended meaning? Right? And then in a minute, as we'll do together, as I will lead us in, you're welcome, uh, is we'll look at the implications of that. What then does that mean for us? So the first thing John does, he does three things. He sounds a warning. He describes the warfare. And as all preachers, and especially me, is going to end in a W or start with a W. And then he issues weapons. All right. So gives a warning, describes the warfare, and then issues weapons. So the warning here is in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets, and we could say teachers, have gone out into the world. The, the do not believe reads as a command. It would have been in the second person singular. And excuse me, I'm taking Greek right now, so I'm kind of Greeking out as my wife calls it. Uh, but, but that word would have applied to a second person singular. Hey, you don't believe false spirits, right? But it's written in the first person, which means it's a command. So it's, hey, stop believing! Exclamation point. He's literally addressing something that is in fact taking place. And he's saying, don't believe, stop believing everything that you hear preached and taught. The present tense issues a command. All of Scripture supports the fact that this is, in fact, um, a danger throughout the church. In regards to spirits, what are the whole spirits? Things about, one theologian says it well, he says, every prophet is a mouthpiece or the spokesperson of some spirit. Every preacher is the mouthpiece or spokesperson of some spirit. He continues, true prophets are the mouthpiece of the Spirit of God, and the false prophets of the Spirit of falsehood, or the Spirit of the Antichrist, as John writes. So behind every prophet is a spirit, and behind every spirit is either God or the devil. Because we, or before we can trust any spirit, we must test them, and this testing is called discerning. John is confident, however, that he who is within them, if you remember this, right? This is a key part of our verse. The Holy Spirit is not hidden in First John. Matter of fact, as John writes, as you've probably discovered by now, John depends wholly on the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in the believer. And so he's confident because of the Spirit of God in them that they will be able to know the difference between truth and error. But they needed discipleship. They needed a reminder, right? They needed elder. They needed a pastor uh, to encourage them to guard truth, to teach them how to guard truth. Otherwise, why is John writing this book to the church at Ephesus, and why is that letter spread throughout the, the early churches? Because they needed these reminders. Uh, this is a reminder from, from Paul to, to young pastor Titus. He writes uh, in Titus 1, he, uh, in describing who an elder or a pastor would be, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give good instruction or to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And a pastor, an elder, ought to be able to, to do that because it needs to be done because there's false preachers, teachers, prophets saying otherwise. It's important, he says. So we see Paul as a teacher training young Titus, and then we see Paul uh, as... A, as a pastor, an elder, as only an apostle can be, 
uh, acting and speaking directly to it, the church at Galatia, chapter 5, verse 7 and 10, says, You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? I have confidence in the Lord, same reason John does. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Right? God's going to judge those. This isn't necessarily about them, though we see through Scripture at times we call out false teaching, and even at times we call out false teachers in order to protect the flock and the truth of God. But this isn't, isn't so much about the prophet, the preacher, the, the false communicator, as much as it is about protecting the true message. Paul knows that God will deal, however, strongly with those deceivers. The Gentile church had about 60 years under their belt at this time. This letter was written about 90, 95 B.C. So the Gentile, without the Jewish tradition of the Old Testament, right, you, you almost want to give them the benefit of the doubt for their ignorance. We, would, we might even call it innocence. But this innocence leads to that ignorance, and that ignorance of that there are false lying teachers, this, this ignorance can very quickly lead to gullibility, and gullibility leads to confusion and harm. This is a very dangerous thing. Sometimes this, and I would say oftentimes, the, the, the apostle in this case, the, 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 the God-appointed elder and pastor often sees these false messages before the flock does we get that sense all throughout Scripture. And so it's a warning that they have a chance to, to heed. It was likely that John knew well, um, as more of a trained man, uh, he knew well God's judgment on a disobedient Jerusalem at times where God would give the Israel people over to their preferences for an easier message. Isaiah 30, For they are rebellious people, God says of his people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, the mystical seers, do not see. No, don't, don't see. We don't like the message. And to the prophets, they say, do not prophesy to us what is right, but speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. This is God's judgment on an Israel who refuses to hear what the Lord has said therefore refusing to obey what the Lord has said and prefers easier things. We're going to see that trend continue in the New Testament. And then I would argue before we leave today, we're going to realize that that's a temptation for us today, isn't it? This is a warning. There are many false teachers and preachers, uh, and they have tricked some into believing their false messages, but it gets worse, as John writes, because now it's not just about that they've been tempted, it's by, tempted and, and deceived, it's by whom they've been deceived, right? It's one thing to kind of be, uh, be tricked by someone, by a kid, right? It's another thing to be tricked by someone who knowingly, uh, over a long period of time, strategically lures you away, all the while knowing that you would fall for it. So it's not just that they were tempted, it's, it's, it's by whom they were tempted, as he writes in verses 2 and 3. He says, by this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now here already. These are not well-meaning, innocent, communicators of supposed revelation. 
behind every mouthpiece, every speaker is a spirit. Behind every spirit is either the spirit of truth or the spirit of error, God, or our spiritual enemy. And John says, wake up. These are those guys. You've heard about it in, in Jesus' teaching. Jesus called out false teachers often, by the way. Most of his ministry, actually, with the Pharisees. Paul called out false teachers even by name. Most of these letters and teachings would have circulated in John saying, these are those guys. Wake up. Don't believe everything you hear. John's saying, this is not benign. It's, de- it's demonic. This is spiritual warfare by Satan himself. Despite every horror movie preview we've all seen, the devil would much rather possess our mind than our body any day. Any day. Spiritual warfare is and always was in the realm of doctrine, of truth, what we believe. Always and forever will be in the realm of truth, what we believe. Genesis 3, it starts there. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God uh, had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat, you shall not die. And before we know it, we see Eve actually adding to what God said and doubting what we know a couple verses later, God in fact did say. Here John is having to guard the doctrine of the incarnation uh, whenever he talks about those who accept Christ as having come as having been God come in the flesh. He's, he's teaching against Gnostic and, and heretical teaching. So the Gnostics would say, and we've, we've mentioned this most of this book long, the, the First John study, because this is a, a popular uh, attack on a particular doctrine right now as John writes to this church. And so the Gnostics would say that, that not only did Jesus not come in the flesh, according to what they believe, there's no way he could have come in the flesh. We, we despise the material world, And there's no way that God would have ever been a man. And if you think about the implications of that, the cross means nothing. Salvation from our sin means nothing. It's impossible. And so to believe this error was not just a small semantical issue. This was a massive doctrinal. We believe in the doctrine of incarnation that God himself from heaven conceived in the womb of a a woman having been God from the very beginning, grew as a man, perfect, dying a perfect death for your sin and for mine. If if he's not a man born and conceived by the Spirit of God from the very beginning, he's nothing. And his death meant nothing. And so this is what a pastor is, is protecting in his flock. He's saying, listen, don't believe these guys. Think for just a minute about the ramifications if you believe this false doctrine. He's protecting the doctrine of incarnation. He's pastorally attacking false teachers. But inside the church, especially behind a pulpit, this is the last place we would expect evil spirits. Then we recall some scripture like 2 Corinthians chapter 11, for such men, Paul writes, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder... For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise, Paul writes, and we should recognize, it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end, another judgment, their end will correspond to their deeds. How seriously does Paul 
and every other writer in Scripture, including the prophets, how seriously do they take attacks on what God actually said? It's life and it's death. It's life and it's, it's death. So our sneaky enemy is sending many false spirits to deceive us. How then will we know the difference? Paul issues weapons, so to speak, in verses 4 through 6. Little children, you are from God and have come, have, have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows, God's listen, knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God doesn't listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He's appealing to the Holy Spirit in them and the truth they've heard. These are the weapons. They're weapons that they already owned. He's pointing them out to be used in the proper way. He's saying, I have confidence that you won't go that direction, that you will not believe what they speak, but you also need to be aware of it so that you can quicken your response to error, and that the Holy Spirit works in a powerful way, as, as 1 John uh, 2.26 writes, to, to recognize error when we hear it with our ears. We, we feel, sense, recognize a disturbance in the force, so to speak. And we're sent where? To Scripture. To combat falsehood. 1 John 2 is what he wrote. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. I write these things, John writes, to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. That's the Holy Spirit. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. All the pastor, apostle, uh, elder ought to do is to say, beware false prophets, test every message against Scripture. Well, shouldn't we instruct specifically regarding every message? Should we play false teachers on the screen and, and should, we, we, should we strategically go through line by line the falsehoods in their doctrine? We, we could do that. We don't need to do that because you have the Holy Spirit in you. Recognize the power of the Holy Spirit to recognize truth in you. Every message you receive tested against Scripture. The Holy Spirit will do the rest. With the Holy Spirit and knowing the truth, we, we test that Spirit like he tells us to in verse 1. 2 Corinthians 13, this is where the, the, the word test is used. Other places, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, do not despise prophecies or teaching, preaching God's word, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Hebrews 1, 1-3, you don't have this on the screen. I wanted to add this this morning. It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets and at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir over all things, and through him also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. This is Jesus. And the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So the book is closed. The revelation is complete. When someone says, Thus saith the Lord, or I have a word for you today, they better be looking down at these printed words and reading them word for word, line by line, or they're adding to holy Scripture. So to test every spirit, every prophecy, every preaching or teaching meant to exhort and to explain God's truth to God's people, we still run to Scripture and test it against 
unchanging scripture. This word test, the, the doximatse, uh, or dokimatse means to see if it is genuine, to test it as metal. It means there's a standard, and we're going to put this, and we're going to put it on the block, and we're going to fire it up and beat it out, and if it matches this, if it reaches this strength, if it endures the test here, then it's good enough. This is how we test. This is how John is telling them to test the false teachers' Christology, what they believe about Christ. He's saying test it against the Word. Test His sermons against the Word. Test His books to these first century, 5,000 mile away Mediterranean people. He's saying this is what you test their podcast against. This is what you test their DVD curriculums against. This is what you test these first century false prophets' Facebook quotes against. It's a joke because there was no Facebook then. (laughs) This is what we test. Every message that is intended to exhort or encourage, rebuke the church as Scripture does. If it's said over here, we must run to this and make sure it is in line. John reminds them that there is one truth when he says, We are from God. Whoever knows that God listens, knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. When he's saying we there, most scholars believe he's appealing to his apostolic authority. When it says, dear brothers, it's kind of a change or a break in thought. I think we recognize this. And by the way, this point uh, doesn't make or break this idea that all of Scripture is written or heavily influenced by apostolic uh, leadership, right? Does that make sense? But we know that because of uh, how the early church uh, mandated that this is what we will approve as the Word of God. These are widely accepted by early first churches. There is a process that, that we can talk about later. There's a process that the early church, for millennia now, since the 5th century, the end, of the, fifth, or the end of the 5th century, we've known that this is God's Word, 66 books, it's closed. And that represents a very early adoption and acceptance by those that would hear from the apostles and would read their first and second hand writings of eyewitnesses of Jesus. And that's why it's authoritative. That's how God chose to give us holy scripture. And whenever he says we, whoever listens to us, whoever subscribes to the apostles' teaching as we see in Acts the truth has been threatening the minds, uh, threatened in the minds of some by, by new and different uh, revelation knowledge of the incarnation or the person of Jesus. And I think John would say it then. I think we can say it now regarding spiritual truth. If it's new, it's false. If it's new, it's false. So John is saying if we said it, trust it, obey it, live it, but if we didn't, run from it. So what about us? Are there any parallels, right? Are there any false prophets uh, here today? Uh, are, is the devil still waging war on truth in our minds today? Are there uh, doctrines of the Christian faith being attacked today? The answer is yes. yes. All of the time. All of the time. But being discerning doesn't quite come naturally to many here are some reasons that I could possibly think of. Maybe you relate to one or none. Or you did. You could have in your past relate to these. Some naturally want to give people the benefit of the doubt, right? We want to assume that though it sounds a little different, that, that I'm sure they 
uh, that they meant well, and, and, and so we, we take a little bit and we do the work of separating the wheat from the chaff, right? And we go, well, I, I'm going to take the good, and we, we, we look on them favorably, generally, even though a lot of what they say is, is off. Another reason we aren't critical of the spirits because we think it's mean. This is for my friend uh, Renee Bates, who's in the audience joining us this week. This is by uh, a pastor writer, Buck Parsons. Uh, he writes, In America today it is considered worse to judge evil than to do evil. If we look into our world, we know that that's true. We know that there's rights preserving evil actions. Unfortunately, though, that, that, that mentality of, of uh, tolerance and political correctness can infiltrate the church. And we think it's just straight mean to call out anyone who on a regular basis, and as it appears, knowingly attacks known gospel doctrine. Another reason many swallow false teaching whole when it's dangerously seasoned with clever half-truths. That's the most subtle kind. And in that sense, I don't know that it's on purpose. And again, sadly, some believe that to guard doctrine is to check the Holy Spirit at the door. There could be no statement farther from the truth. So we go from quickly from um, innocence to awareness to, doc, to, to discernment. We must go from innocence to awareness to discerning. We must go from innocence, maybe ignorance, to awareness and discernment. Ephesians 4, Paul writes this, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown there and there by every wind of teaching, and by cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. For 1,800 plus years, Christians have been duly warned of the presence of false teachers, the danger, the result of false teachers, the cleverness of false teachers. Remember Paul saying, I didn't come to you in human wisdom. We have on record of people falling asleep and falling out of windows because the, some of the first church's preachers were preaching. Because the world cares about the delivery a little too much, don't they? doesn't mean we can be monotone. That's not in me. I'd have to work backwards to be monotone. I would have to, be, I have to work backwards to talk slowly and softly. And I don't always feel like smiling 100% of the time when I'm talking. There's a lot of things that happen naturally in order to be persuasive. And for the most part, it's my passion and conviction about what this book says. But the world will want to be impressed, and to a large degree, they're, they're very well-spoken. Here's some of those duly warning scriptures. Galatians 1 says, but even if we, I love this, because this applies to every sermon Dave and I teach. I'll stop interrupting the reading of the scripture in just a second, but real quick. This is something I've had one or two people confront me, say, hey, something you said, uh, I, have, I have a question about this, or didn't line up with this, and here's the deal. You and I both have an unbiased, third-party, objective standard, right? And so I welcome that. I agree with Paul. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed or damned. Strong wording. Colossians 2. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. 1 Timothy 1, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge a certain person or certain persons 
I think it's pretty clear he had someone in mind, not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies which promote speculations. 1 Timothy 6, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. This is to a pastor. This is God's word, our most important job. Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and opposing ideas on what is falsely called knowledge. It's, the, again, the seeds of, of Gnosticism were being planted during the early church. 2 Timothy 2, among them are uh, these two names. He calls out Hymenius and Philetus by name. These guys have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Sound innocent enough? Play out the implications of the resurrection already having happened. Some claim the return of Christ, the second return, had already happened. It plays out in a way that deceives and harms. 2 Timothy 4, For the time is coming when people will, endure sound, will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their passions and will turn away from listening to the truths and wandering off into the myths. This, when I did this, this means like I'd have this picture of collecting around us. And listen, I listen to podcasts, right? But this is, this is putting around us podcasts and, and books and, and YouTube pastors and preachers. We, we, we have so much access that it's harder for us now than it was for them. It's way harder for us now than it was for them. We have bookshelf on bookshelf, Christian bookstore after Christian bookstore, and it's not all Christian. Do you hear me? It's, it's not all Christ-centered and biblical. It's just not. And if we've not thought about that or been critical of that, then there's a good chance that we've, with the best of intentions, received false and error-filled messages as truth. What do the Antichrist and false spirits look like today? I think it depends on where you're at. In many other cultures, our enemy has been very successful at, at causing people to deny the truth. In our, uh, our American uh, cultural Christian uh, environment, the culture we live in today, uh, I think his, his strategy is pretty clear that, that he can distort the truth, just put the Christian label on it, and many, many unfortunately without the Holy Spirit operating actively as a saved individual operating in their life, they are unable to recognize error and truth. And so sadly, these false preachers in a culture that is not about deny the truth, it's just about distort the truth, unfortunately false teachers can acquire quite a following. Because our culture is an easy place to accept Jesus without counting the cost. The social demand alone, much less a weak gospel presentation a lot of times. This is the hard truth of the day, by the way. I would have my notes. Hard truth of the day, colon. Our culture is an easy place to accept Jesus without counting the cost. The social demand isn't enough to weed out those who are unwilling to deny themselves and pick up their cross. This adds to the true church what Paul says in Galatians 2, false brothers. This means that there are many without the Holy Spirit in them that can be easily misled by false spirits and false prophets and false teachers with a Christian label. 
So we must practice discernment inside the walls, knowing that our enemy's strategy, it seems to be not to deny the truth, but to distort it. One uh, Baptist preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, maybe you've heard of him, he said this, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. Discernment is knowing the difference between right and almost right. You get his point, right? Shades of gray are oftentimes most dangerous. 1 Corinthians 2.15 said, The person with the Spirit must make judgments about all things. And John, as John writes, remember this is the context of our study, he can trust that the Holy Spirit will guide them into truth. And as Christians with the Holy Spirit in us, our discernment sensors should go off when we hear a mega multi-site church pastor evangelist say, I have a word from the Lord. If I were you, I'd grab your Bible and I would wait for him to give you the reference because the Lord has already spoken. Now, as a pastor, he, he might be overclaiming how the Lord has led him to teach a certain passage, but that's dangerous wording, isn't it? I have a word from the Lord for you today. Okay, I, I, he's already told me everything I need to know. Pastor, will, will you help me understand it better? Our discernment sensor should go off when, as our pastor mentioned, and, and, and pastor, he, he was pastoral to us several months ago when he referenced 40,000 people applauding after the pastor's wife uh, said, I just want to encourage everyone to realize that when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. That's one way to look at it. We're doing it for ourselves. That's heresy. We obey God for His sake and for His glory, and because He's good, it benefits us. But we do it for Him. Our discernment sensor should go off when a New York Times best-selling author of a Christian devotional writes this in her introduction. During the last, or during the same year, I began reading a devotional book written by two anonymous listeners. These women practice waiting quietly in God's presence, pencils and papers in hand, recording the messages they receive from Him that she would later publish and sell to everyone as the words of Jesus. She continues in her original introduction that has been revised. She says, I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Guys, it's dangerous. First, to want more. Second of all, to, to, to claim that He spoke to you after this book has been closed to add to this. Our discernment sensors should go off when another New York Times, are you noticing a trend here? A New York Times best-selling book writes, or book writer, co-author of a New York Times best-selling book writes this, I did not die, I did not go to heaven. When I made those claims that I did, I had never read the Bible. People have profited from my lies and continue to, he writes. They should read the Bible, which is enough. The Bible is the only source of truth. If the book's release wasn't enough, that should cause us to notice something. That release, that open letter to many Christian bookstores, was immediately followed by Lifeway removing all books by anyone claiming to have been to heaven and having come back off the shelves. Also immediately released or after that was a nine-point statement by the Southern Baptist Convention reaffirming the sufficiency of Scripture on the topic of heaven. 
We've got to be careful. One more example, and this is not about people. This is not a witch hunt. This is about examples that might illustrate how we must guard the truth. I hope you're not hearing anything I'm not saying, but one more example. Our discernment sensor should go off when a very encouraging, positive, inspirational woman, pastor, author, televangelist says, the Bible can't even find a way to explain this. Not really. That's why you've got to get it by revelation. There are no words to explain what I'm telling you, she says. I've got to trust that God, that He's putting it into your spirit like He's putting it into mine. No, 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 no. Every sermon you should be able to say, and you'll find it right here. Every single sermon. And if it doesn't line up, then the preacher misspoke. And humbly I would say, if I ever, ever do that, I hope it's so far and few between. And I pray that I would respond in humility. And I would stand up here and I would say, hey, remember that thing I said? Open your Bible. I want to explain why, where I, what I intended to say and how I was wrong. That, that, that's the purpose of the preacher today. Not to add to it. We would be wise to critique even entire publishing companies, entire broadcast networks, and sadly even churches. We'd be wise to be critical of. Not to write them off, not to not practice grace toward them, but to be critical of in case there is error. Did you know, or maybe you don't, that, that, that we do our very best to only sing songs by, by churches and artists with sound theology? You'll notice that's why we're, we're basically down to one song right now. <laughs> and so I'm praying, and, and that's a joke, right? There's some good people out there doing great things. Praise God. I'm being a little hyperbolic. That's why we're down to ten songs right now. And so pray with me that the Lord would put songs in our worship leader's hearts. And she may need to start writing some. <laughs> Have you noticed the recent emphasis, not on Bible studies, because that's not recent. We're a very Bible-based church and have been. But have you noticed the emphasis lately on a little extra effort to read uh, books of the Bible and to even teach in, in several classes right now how to study your Bible? Uh, we have a quick picture of, uh, of, of one of our high school uh, servant volunteers discipling a few of our girls, and there's other Bibles around the counter, so maybe there's more, but teaching them how to study their Bible. Not, not adding to, not watching DVDs and, and reading other books. The resources can be helpful. But before we add all that stuff, let's, let's master this first. That's a powerful picture. And that's our emphasis. And here's the reason. We hope to, to develop a confidence by which you can recognize truth when we do that as a church. I think too rare a Christian is like the Jewish converts in Acts 17. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scripture every day to see if what Paul said was true. I like it. Sounds good, Paul. Man, I want that. But we'll be back. Because what I do know is true is this thing. And Old Testament Scripture is true. And so knowing that, and man, I hope to come back here, and I hope to, to seal the deal and close the deal with you, but give us a little bit. And they searched the Scripture every day. Every sermon, they were like, oh man, that's good New Testament, New Covenant stuff. Hold on. Man, it pans out. This is awesome. Like, you, you mean that, that, that the thing that I was kind of feel like, like oh, heavy, the law was, was hard, but good, but, but hard. Like, you're telling me that that's, that's now going to be an outflowing of the work of the Holy Spirit in me? 
You're telling me that I can have confidence in my salvation, confidence in my eternal life? That's the new covenant. And as great as those things are and the promises are, they first went to Scripture to make sure. This is a practice we've got to have today when we look at book titles and taglines like The Power to Unleash Your Unborn Drive, The Secret for Effective effortless success, wholeness, and victorious living. Pray blessings on your children's lives. Your best life now. Change your words and change your life. Other posts that uh, you see, uh, the you that you see is the you, you you'll become. Okay. I mean, here's the deal, but, but here's the deal. If that's true, then, then I'm going to spend a lot of time in false hope picturing a, a really great me. And if you were to convince me that I had that power, I, I, might, I might really be hopeful about my future because I can be pretty creative, and that, that's a, but that's dangerous. Never undervalue the role the Holy Spirit is... Hold on, this... Never undervalue the role of the Holy Spirit in your future and His role in making your dreams come true. Does he want to give us the desires of our heart? Yes, but that's dangerous wording, isn't it? Don't forget your benefits of salvation because when sickness and poverty or anything presents itself that is contrary to the benefits, you must remember that you don't have to accept that. Our poverty, is that, is that opposed to my promises? Is, is sickness opposed to my promises by Christ on the cross? Only if, if you claim promises for heaven now, and only if you shift the focus off of Jesus and on to me. And that's largely what they sell. This is primarily the faith, word of faith, and the prosperity gospel. The emphasis is on you and now. What about him and what about then? What does Paul, read Paul's life. He's sick half the time. He's beat up half the time. He's shipwrecked. He's cold. He needs a jacket. The dude's in the winter in a prison without a coat. I'm just not living the victorious life. No. Put me through hell here if you want to. I know I'm headed for heaven. That's why there's a smile on my face. Not because I'm worth $5 million. The emphasis is not on us, guys, in Scripture. It circles back to us because He, he loves us. He shows us love. It circles back to us because He's good. A.W. Tozer said the best way to prove that a stick is crooked is to set a straight one by it. No words need to be spoken. I'll end with this. Uh, this is where John ends is with the authority of Scripture, right? He ends with, if they listen to us, then, then they're from us because we are apostles. We are uniquely given the authority to write God's Word as First Peter 1.21 says, uh, led by the Holy Spirit. Guys, that's a crazy deal. That's a crazy deal for a unique time in a unique way, right? It used to be prophecy. It used to be all kinds of ways. Now he's spoken in his word through Christ. This is, this is the danger. Here, here's, here's the danger. I was reading up on a little bit of the process of how we, we determine what is canonized or what is, in fact, the words of God. And here's what, here's what I found. A short little excerpt. It says, Historically, the church since the 4th century has accepted 66 books of the Old and New Testament as the authoritative canonical books. Okay? The books known as 
Apocrypha were added by Jerome and others of the, uh, to the Latin Bible. This is why the Catholic Church deems them authoritative. But they were added to the Latin Bible to be used for the purpose of devotion and edification. Though not originally intended for consideration on par with the canonical Old Testament books, popular usage in the Middle Ages didn't distinguish between the canonical books and the extra-canonical books of devotion. Guys, that, that risk, that danger still exists today is to say this is Holy Scripture and then to surround it by helpful resources and then to even the good stuff to at some point that circle of influence gets closer and closer before we know it we're binding it in the very book of scripture would we do that no but let's watch our lives where do we go to first who do we read first what do we judge our 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 life against is it what man has said or is it what god has said. I want to read, and I'm skipping so we can wrap up. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 15. This is the hope we have. The Spirit in us has the ability. This is the hope. Again, this isn't go be discerning. This is, let's, let's be discerning, and here's what we can expect, that the Holy Spirit will lead us to recognize the difference between truth and error. That's the emphasis of the book of 1 John. That's the hope that John and Paul had for anyone that he's warning that the Holy Spirit is an operable force here. 1 Corinthians 2 says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart these in words, not taught by human wisdom, but but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but it is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understanding, who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ and by the Spirit of God. We can discern. Let's pray.